seats. Y'all all right? This feels massive. Can you see me? How are you doing this morning? You doing good? You're looking good. I want to give you a huge welcome this morning if you're new, if you're here for the first time either online or in, here in the room, come on, let's, let's all welcome those new. I believe that this morning God wants us to create an atmosphere where he can move and bring freedom and release lives and bring hope into many lives. This is a place where lives can flourish and thrive and see God bring transformation like never before. A place where we can build community, where there is support and friendship and an environment of support for each one of us. So you've made a great choice in being here today because I believe that God is going to plant something in each one of our lives that will leave a lasting impact that we will look back on and say, wow, God did something through us being together today. I believe that God wants to change your mindset and give you the realization what God has for you and what God has put in you for such a time as this with a purpose for your life. We have an opportunity today to do one of two things. We can either show up and say, yeah, that were a good meeting. We've had a nice time together. I've managed to connect with my friends. It's all good. Or we can really lean in this morning and really take on board what God wants to talk to us about and let God really speak to us and not let it just be a good morning, but let it be a fantastic morning, a transforming day. I believe God is going to speak into each one of our circumstances and lives by the power of his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. We have an opportunity to have an encounter with Jesus today. We have an opportunity to leave here so radically different, not by anything we could do or anything I can say, but simply because Jesus is here. Just because his presence is here. I believe God wants us to do something so unique. I believe God wants us to do something radical for you and for me this morning. So if you agree today, I just want you to be on the edge of your seat, ready for what God is going to say to each one of us and waiting in anticipation. So I believe that we're going to see miracles today. I believe that we're going to see breakthroughs. Let's make a determined decision this morning. I'm going to see my miracle. I'm going to see my breakthrough. I'm going to see my freedom whatever it is that God has for you. I mean, we're so British, aren't we, sometimes? And we think, yeah, I know God can do it for them, and I know God can do it for them. But I'm not quite sure about me, you know? I'm not sure whether he wants to do something for me, but I know for definite he wants to do something for John and Pat. But I'm not sure about me, but yeah, Liz, he wants to do something for you. But let's agree together. We're not going to be British. We're going to be saying, yeah, I'm having some of this too. God has got a plan for your life. You're here for such a time as this. It's so easy to make excuses and say, well, one day, one day, one day I'll let God do that in my life. One day I'll find that breakthrough. One day I'll let God use me. One day I'll serve. One day I'll do that thing, that thing, you know, that God's put in my heart. 
one day I'll do it. I'll do it when the kids are older. I'll do it when they've left out. I'll do it when I've got more time, when I'm not working. But I believe God wants you to do it today. I believe God's got a plan for you today. Not for in the future, not for when, but for today, for such a time as this. Now is the time that you can invest. You can invest in those people. You can invest in your life. You can do that, invest and invite in those around you because God wants to use you today. And I hope you'll leave here today knowing that God can and wants to use you to see change in others. And even though we don't always think we're in the right place for God to use us, we can know that God will use you wherever you are. Let me pray this morning. Lord, I thank you that you've got plans for each one of us. I thank you, Lord, that it's your desire that you see us released into all that you've got for us. And I pray today that you use my words, Lord, to bring confidence into people's hearts and lives, that you're going to use them. In Jesus' name, amen. If you didn't know already, I'm one of seven daughters. I'm the youngest in my family. When my sisters did anything, they had to take me along. And they didn't want to. When they went out, they had to take me with them. So they would used to say, I know, let's play hide and seek. Great, you know. I mean, I was probably about five or six at this time. So hide and seek was fantastic. So I fall for it every single time. They'd say to me, I know the best place to hide. In the pantry, we had one of these big walking pantries that had got a lock on the outside, but no lock on the inside. So they would all run in, and I'd go running in. You get to back, Jean, and then they'll never find you. So I'd get right to back. They'd run out and lock the door. And just leave me in there, and they'd go out. <laughs> it's not funny, Stephen. It scarred me for life. <laughs> no, it didn't really. But they knew... I mean, I was, like I say, I was about five or six. And, well, yeah, I did get plenty of food, yeah. But they knew that if I went out with them, they couldn't get up to anything. Because at five and six, you just tell your parents everything, don't you? So I would just tell them everything that they'd done. But, yeah. Do we, have, do we always think that the grass is greener? On the other side, maybe we're living in FOMO today, fear of missing out. And that was certainly me locked in that pantry. So what is FOMO? Well, the dictionary puts it like this. It says, anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening somewhere else. Often aroused by posts seen on social media. It's true, isn't it? You look what everyone else is doing, you think, oh, they're having a much better life than me. We feel as though we're missing out. We go about our day-to-day -day routine, getting the kids ready for school, going to work, making sure the house is tidy, putting food on the table. We do all this, and yet we feel as though we're missing out. Sometimes we start to realize, if what we do, does it really matter? We see others posts on Instagram, 
on Facebook, you know, they're here, there and everywhere. It always looks like they're doing something more interesting and exciting than me. But I think today God wants you to realise that you're not missing out. You're not missing out on anything. Imagine if God could use you right where you are doing just what you're doing. Well, I believe that's what God wants to do with each one of us today. I'm going to try and show you that God wants to use you right where you are and that you no longer need to live with FOMO. You need to just be open to be used by God in your life. We very often feel, as I've said, that the grass is greener on the other side. We start to fantasize about what our life would look like with different circumstances. What do we do with this lingering fear of missing out? Well, if ever there was someone who felt the fear of missing out, it was a woman named Jael. I think I've pronounced that right. J-A-E-L. In the Old Testament. She's just an ordinary woman living an average, ordinary life. She's not glamorous. She's not famous. She's just average. And her, her and her husband are just tent people. Just tribal people living in a desert. She lives in a tent, managing her household amongst her people. If any of us were somehow able to time travel back and watch her day-to-day -day experience, we would say, wow, yeah, this woman is missing out. She's missing out on adventure. She's missing out on the finer things of life. The woman lived in a tent in the desert in the middle of nowhere, this woman is missing out, or so we think. We're going to have a look at Jael's story today. My prayer is that as we look at this story, you'll realize that you're not missing out. The word of God will help you discover that the action that we feel that we're missing out on is actually closer than we think. So we're going to have a look at Judges chapter 4. I'm going to start by reading verses 4 to 10. And it says, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, I think I've said that right, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinamah, from Kadesh in Nap yeah, in Birmingham. <laughs> and she said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you ten thousand men of Birmingham and Oxford, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him to your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and whatever his name is. And 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. 
You know, somewhere I've, I've memorized those names and I still can't say them. So let's stop here and take a look at what's happening. At this time, Deborah is leading God's people. She's leading the nation of Israel and she summons Barak, the Israelite commander of the army, and she says, God is telling us to go into battle against our enemies, the people who are taunting us and oppressing us, and I've been doing for 20 years. We are to summon 10,000 troops and are to defeat the Canaanites in battle. Now, Barak is a little intimidated by this. This doesn't seem like a great plan to him because he knows that the Canaanite army is indestructible. The Canaanite army is led by Sisera, who has never been defeated in battle. He's invincible. It's a bit like Captain America. He's ruthless. He has 900 chariots under his command. And for 20 years, he's been oppressing God's people. Barak is like, I'm not signing up for this. This is like a suicide mission. He says, I'm willing to go, but only if you go with me, Deborah. And Deborah says, of course I'm going with you. But more importantly, God is going to go with us. It's God who has called us to this battle. So it's God who is going to call the victory. And with that assurance, Barak, not confident in his own ability, but confident that God will bring the victory, obeys and summons 10,000 troops to fight against the Canaanite army. There's loads going on here. Loads of stuff. Stuff that is going to change the course of history. And yet, the woman I mentioned, the hero of the story, she's not even been thought of. She's not in on it. She's still in her tent, going about her everyday stuff, cleaning, washing, sorting the family out. Seems like she's missing out. But just to save time, I'll tell you what happens. Well, the battle happens. And just as God promised, God delivers, just as he always does. Not one Canaanite soldier was left standing in the battle. God brings complete victory. The only person that is still alive in the Canaanite army is Sisera. He's fleeing for his life, and Barak is in hot pursuit. It was a great victory for God's people, the people who have been oppressing them for 20 years, defeated in battle. Sisera, who has never lost a battle, is losing because God is bringing the victory. This is huge. This is incredible. And yet Jael, the hero of our story, isn't part of any of it. She's not at that battle. She's nowhere to be seen in the story. She's just living in her tent in the middle of nowhere. But all that is about to change. In verse 17, it says, Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jaber, of Hazor. So this is what happens. Big, bad, Sisera, enemy of God's people, literally knocks on her front door. Now remember what was prophesied by Deborah, that it would be a woman who would bring down Sisera. But Jael didn't know that because she wasn't there to hear that prophecy. This huge battle has just happened and Sarah 
has been defeated by the Israelite army. God's people. And yet, she doesn't know about any of it because she wasn't there. Not only was she not involved in any of the action leading up to this moment, she didn't even know that the action had taken place. She was invited to the battle, but it didn't, she wasn't invited to the battle, but it didn't matter because God was bringing the battle to her. I think we can learn something from this today. You know, some of us go through life and we think, you know, there's some people and they're really living. Their life is amazing, but not mine. You know, I'm here to tell you today that even though you think you're just living in your little tent in the middle of nowhere, God is going to use you. There's some people and they live their lives so fulfilled and exciting but you're saying, I'm just trying to show up for work on time. I'm just looking after my family. There are people that travel all over. And I spend most of my time fighting cars during rush hour. Not literally fighting cars. There are people, and you look at their Instagram posts and their social media, and their lives look so exciting. And they're meeting all these great people. And I'm just trying to get home in time to do a load of washing so that I can have clean underwear for tomorrow. There are people who are preaching the gospel to stadiums of thousands, and I just serve coffee at church on a Sunday. There are people who fall in love, get married, and I'm just waiting to get asked out. This is where we live. This is our reality. There are people whose lives are so fulfilling that they get in on all the action that life can offer. But not me. I'm just living in my tent, in the middle of nowhere. But is it possible that the action we think we're missing out on is actually closer than we think? Is it possible that in our own lives, in our own little tents, the opportunity, in fact, is knocking on our door? What if God wants to bring victory through your little tent? What if God has got plans for your little tent? What if God has ordained victory in your tent way before this moment existed? What if it's been prophesied about you that God is going to use you in miraculous ways in your tent? What if all heaven knows that you're a force to be reckoned with? And you just happen to be the last person to know about it. And what if God has got big plans for you and your tent? I really believe that God has called every single one of us to greatness. I believe that God wants to use every single one of us in supernatural, miraculous ways. I also believe that we don't have to go chasing opportunity. We don't have to go comparing opportunity with someone else's. Opportunity we don't, we don't have. We don't have to go seeking for it. Because God is bringing opportunity for greatness right at our front door. I believe that opportunity looks like our relationships, our family, our community, our church, and our workplaces. Opportunity right where you are. I believe that if we miss out on opportunity... 
It's not, not because we don't have opportunity. It's because we didn't see and seize the opportunity that God has placed right in front of us. But Jael didn't miss out. She saw the opportunity for what it was. And she made the most of it. And so as we look at what she did right now, my prayer is that you would discover not only that God has got great things in store for our ordinary lives, but also that God is showing us how to make the most of these opportunities. So in Judges 4, verses 18 to the end, it says, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there's anyone here, say no. But, but Cicera fell asleep from exhaustion. Jail quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground. And so he died. A bit gory. When Barrett came looking for Cicera, Jail went out to meet him and said, Come, and I will show you the man that you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Cicera lying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. So here's what's fascinating to me. Here is where Jael got the knock on the door from Cicera. She didn't see what other people saw. She saw Cicera was expecting to be entering a neutral territory. Jael's husband and people had an alliance with the Canaanite army, and they also had good relations with the Israelites. They were supposed to be neutral in this conflict between God's people and God's enemies, but not Jael because everyone else was neutral. It didn't mean she was. How do we make the most of the opportunities that God brings our way? By refusing to remain neutral in our lives, in our hearts, in our beliefs, in our actions. If we're going to live that extraordinary life that God has called us to, we can't remain neutral. We have to choose what we believe and how we are going to live. God put it this way in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would, make the, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. If we're going to be heroic, if we're going to win battles in our lives... If we're going to be victorious, then we can't remain neutral. You never win a battle that way. You have to first choose sides. You have to be a people of conviction. You have to be a people that stand for something. Jail refused to stay neutral, but she used what she had. Who would have thought milk, blanket and a tent peg would have taken down a general of an army? Jail didn't use what she didn't have she used what she did have God is never going to ask us to use what we don't have 
but you can guarantee he's going to ask us to use what we do have. God specializes in using the ordinary in our lives to bring about extraordinary results. God used Moses' staff to part the Red Sea. God used David's slingshot to bring down Goliath. God used Daniel and his friend's diet to bring favor before the king. God used a marching band to bring down the walls of Jericho. Jesus used mud in someone's eye to heal blindness. Jesus used a simple touch to heal the lepers. God loves using what is ordinary to bring about extraordinary supernatural results. This is the truth. God looks at all circumstances of your life. He looks at you. He looks at everything he has given you, and he sees all the necessary ingredients for a miracle. But all too often, we don't see what God sees. More often than not, we tend to overestimate what we don't have and underestimate what we do have. So we find ourselves saying things like, if I had a different boss, I'd accomplish much more. If I had a different husband, my marriage would be so much better. If I had more time, I'd serve more. If I had more money, I'd give more. If I had a different upbringing, my life, wouldn't be so much di- my life would be so much different by now. If someone would have noticed me, I'd have gotten that opportunity and I'd be in a much different place than I am right now. If someone would just love me, then I'd be in a relationship and I'd be happy. Whatever it is, we look at what we don't have instead of focusing on what we do have. What would happen if we began to see what we do have? Now, understand perhaps what you have at the moment is less than ideal. I don't want to get too graphic here, but I'm sure Jail would have preferred a sword rather than a tent peg. I would have thought that tent peg was rather gory and not clean. Maybe what you have right now seems less than ideal, but I promise you, your less than ideal in your hands with the blessing is God, of God is more than enough to bring about victory and breakthrough and blessing in your life. So what do you have? You have your time, your abilities, your passions, your experience, your relationships, your discipline, your pursuits. What do you have? If you use it, God will bless it. If you use it, Sisera's will fall at your feet. If you use it, together we might just change the world. Jail was incredibly resourceful, and it's worth noting that it had taken some guts. I mean, what was going through her head when she picked up that tent peg? What was she thinking when that opportunity lay at her feet? She would have known that if Cicera had woken up at that moment, she was a dead woman. Not just her, but her family, and maybe her whole tribe. This is not the kind of guy that you mess with. By doing what she did, she risked everything. And if she would have done nothing, she'd have been safe. If she'd have just left him sleeping, she could have just claimed neutral territory that she was in. She risked everything by doing what she did. If we're going to make the most of this life that God has given us and live an extraordinary life, then we're never going to do this by playing safe. We're going to have to take some risks. I believe that we should be the greatest risk takers of all. Because if ever there was a risk taker, it was Jesus. 
If ever there was someone who was not limited or held by fear, it was Jesus. Fear had no grip on Jesus. The fear of disappointment could not keep Jesus from preaching the truth. The fear of failure could not keep Jesus from performing miracle after miracle. The fear of pain could not keep Jesus from giving his one and only life for you and for me on the cross. The fear of death could not keep Jesus from resurrecting from the dead. And the fear of rejection could not keep Jesus from loving us, even when we had no interest in loving him. If ever there was someone who was not limited by fear, it was Jesus. Jesus is perfect love. Perfect love and fear cannot coexist. I believe the longer we follow Jesus, the more we become like him, fearless inside and out. Yet the church is very often portrayed as weak people. Well, I believe that that's not the case. That's not what we're created to be. That's not our destiny. We're created to walk by faith and not by sight. We're created to be more than conquerors in every situation that comes up in our lives. We're meant to take dominion. We are meant to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We're meant to cast out demons. We're meant to make disciples of all nations. We're meant to introduce people to this amazing, incredible Jesus. And we made a start by the invest and invite cards, but let's keep praying. Let's keep believing. Let's do the work that we need to do. We're meant to be cultural setters, history makers, people rescuers. We're meant to be people of hope in a dark world. Fearless is who we are. This is our destiny, the destiny that God has planned for each one of us. So when was the last time we took risks? When was the last time we shared our faith with someone that we weren't sure how they were going to respond? When was the last time we had a real conversation with that, pe that person that we've been avoiding? When was the last time we solved a problem, either at work or here at church in our team, that no one has dared to try and solve? When was the last time we took a risk? When was the last time you took a risk, worshippers? Worshipping like no one's watching. When was the last time, artists, you wrote a new song? When was the last time, you businesses, you took a risk in your business? When was the last time, givers, that you gave beyond your comfort zone? Married people, when was the last time you loved your husband or wife wholeheartedly, even though it meant being vulnerable? Parents, when was the last time you let your children take risks, allowing them to fail? And if they do, showing them that that was okay, that you believed in them. Prayers, when was the last time that you fervently prayed, prayed for something or for someone? Friends, when was the last time you took a risk? I believe it's time to take risks. Just to be clear, I'm not talking about the impulsive, feel-good, in-the-moment risks that hurt people in the end. I'm talking about taking risks to see God's kingdom come and his will being done, not just in your life, but in the life of those around you as well. The band want to come back up. When I think about Jael, I don't think that she took that risk for her own glory. She got nothing to gain. She did it because for 20 years, she'd seen God's people being oppressed 
I imagine when she held that tent peg, what she was thinking about. She was thinking of God's people. She was thinking about what it means to live with oppression in your life and wanted to see God's people set free. She took the risk. She took the risk because it was going to set others free. She took the risk for the betterment of others. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but it's given us a spirit of wisdom. And I believe that God is calling us to take risks. Not stupid risks, but ones that are led by God's word and the Holy Spirit. It's always so that we can bring freedom and hope to others. That's what God has called you to do. You are here today for a reason. You're here today for such a time as this. I believe this morning that God wants to awaken that same spirit in you that Jael had. The person who sees her tent, not just as an ordinary tent, that you look at your circumstances and you don't see average, but you see victory. Victory in the making. But you see how God is at work in your lives. I believe you're here for such a time as this. You're here for a reason. I believe that God is wanting to show you what you have got in your hand and how you can bring hope into your world. A world that desperately needs hope. A people that are willing to pick up their tent peg and make a difference and do what needs to be done. It's time to take that kind of risk that's going to lead people to Jesus that's going to leave a different legacy for our children and grandchildren and their children. A legacy that's going to leave this world a better place. It's time for us to take our place. So this morning, let us use what's in our hands. Let's be a people that are willing to take risks to see God's kingdom come in this part of the earth. Let me pray. I just want to, I felt this morning as though there be people here that need release, release from fear, fear of stepping out into their dreams. And I believe that God wants us to give voice to what God wants for us. He wants us to take new ground in what he wants us to do. So this morning, if you're in that place where you're desperate in your tent, I believe God wants to bring release in your life so that you start loving where you are and expecting that opportunity to come knocking on your door to get people free from bondage. I just feel as though I wanted to pray for chains to be broken this morning. So if you, if you just want to respond to that, just by raising your hand so that I can see you, so that I can pray specifically for you. That's, that's great. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Lord, I just thank you that you are a God that wants to bring release. And Lord, I ask, I ask you to break chains, Lord, to break chains of fear, fear from, from actually stepping out and doing what you want us to do and I pray Lord that we will see you move by your spirit in people's hearts and lives and chains will be broken in Jesus name we ask this Amen <laughs>